Well, we are finishing this book uh, today that finishes the Old Testament um, and bridges the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, you, you probably perhaps picked up on that if you know a little bit about John the Baptist and, um, and him coming as um, the Elijah that is, is prophesied here, um, Jesus and uh, John's parents both validate that. And so this is looking ahead. This is very much taking us into the Christmas season. Um, and it is the last book in your Old Testament. If you're, if you're reading it, you're going to see uh, the, the New Testament starts right after that. There's a 400-year gap there, though. This is, this is the final word from the Lord preparing them for the coming of Christ. And, and, um, and so it's, a, it's an incredibly uh, timely uh, book and, and word for us just as far as the season but also, I think, as a people, as um, we've been walking through this book, what we found is that Malachi is a, is a messenger of the Lord. His name literally means messenger of the Lord. And he is that as well, being sent by God to a people who are struggling. These aren't pagan worshiping people. These are Christians, God's people, Israelites, that, that really aren't sure that doing this whole following God thing is really worth it. They're not seeing it pay off, and they're starting to doubt, and it's, it's impacting their worship, and their devotion, um, and their behavior. And so God has sent Malachi to have this conversation with him, and throughout this book, we've walked through, uh, today will be the final, the sixth uh, disputation where God confronts and says, hey, you're doing this, and they say, whoa, how have we done that? And then he lays that out for them. And so uh, we're going to see the final one today, and then he's also going to, again, point us ahead to the coming of John the Baptist, and which he is there to, to be the forerunner or to make way for the coming Christ. And so uh, next week we'll look at that, look at Christ has come. And so uh, we're just going to walk through this today. And if you uh, were with us a few weeks ago, this first part is going to sound a bit familiar. Have you ever read the Bible and, and you're doing your Bible reading plan and you read it and you're like, I'm fairly confident that it just said this, right? And you're confused. And depending on your personality, you go back and dig around and try to figure it out, or you shrug it off and move on and just embrace that the Bible's confusing or whatever. Uh, we miss out on some things when we do that. Uh, I understand. I've done that myself. But when we, when we sit in the context and when we dig around and figure out what's happening, God's uh, word is, is, is full of just beauty and treasure. And so what you're going to see is this does sound really similar to a few weeks ago whenever they were talking about justice, whenever they were saying, hey, what's the point of continuing to be faithful to God? Because all those pagan nations that are around us, they don't, they're not being faithful to you, and they seem to be prospering. Meanwhile, we're trying to follow you, and, and we're broke, and we're struggling. So what's the point? And God says, and, and so they're crying out, saying, where's the God of justice? If you're so just, why aren't you doing anything about their behavior? And God says, oh, like, justice is coming. Justice is coming. And, and on that day, I, I will handle them. They will get theirs. So this sounds familiar. As we get into um, verse 13, um, we see it kind of sounds like the same sort of thing. It says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? And you, and you have said... Uh, it is vain to serve God. What's the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. If you were here last week, we, we uh, saw that God 
um, told his people to put him to the test, say, uh, in the form of giving, in the form of living in such faith that the way that they worship, the way that they give financially requires God to show up. In other words, a, a faith that is living in, in risk, if God doesn't show up, we're going we're gonna to feel that, we're going to know that. And so God told him, hey, put me to the test. Bring all that you have been commanded to give and let me provide for you. Let me show you that I am faithful. And so here they're saying, well, listen, I'm not sure what the point is because uh, you're telling us if we put you to the test and give everything we're supposed to that you'll provide for us financially. People who don't care about you, they're not putting you, like you're, you're providing for them. Right? They seem to be putting you to the test in the other way and, and, and seeing how far they're away from they, of you they can get without you punishing them. Right? It says they, they put you to the test, but they, they escape. And so people are like, this is very raw like conversation that he's having with his people where he knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're struggling with. And he cares enough to confront them and, and say this. And so we, we went through this a couple weeks ago. So God's response now, uh, is, is we're going to see, it's going to kind of zoom in a bit, because two weeks ago, he, he was talking about uh, to his people, what is justice going to look like for them out there? Like, we're talking about God's people versus pagan nations, the nation of Israel, uh, and of Judah versus the surrounding nations um, who, who don't have any affiliation with God. He talked about justice with them, saying the day of the Lord will come and they all justice will be doled out and served. And he said, I'm going to have to send somebody, I'm going to have to send a refining fire you know, to, in order to make sure that you can withstand that judgment because if I just come sweep, with, sweeping with judgment, you're going to get wiped out too. So that's, that's, that's last week or, or two weeks ago. Today, it's less about us and them and more about us and us. He's actually going to be talking about within the nation of Israel, there are those who are faithful and there are those who are condemning the Lord. There are those who are questioning God. There are those who are uh, saying the same sorts of things and putting God to the test and pushing the boundaries, claiming the name of God, but abusing his name, not living as such. And God says, no, no, I, I'm going to deal with them too. And then we're going to see, instead of focusing on what happens on the day of judgment to those who are not inside of God's family and saved by the blood of Jesus, he's actually, we're going to look more at what that day is going to look like for those that are. And so this is more the good news side of this coin um, where he's going to say, hey, in that day, not everybody who, who, who says, Lord, Lord, not everybody who claims to be a Christian is going to receive the blessing whenever that day of the Lord comes. There will be a sifting that happens. You see Jesus teach on the same thing. He says, I'll, I'll separate the wheat from the chaff, uh, the sheep from the goats. Like, we're, we're, this is going to happen. He says, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will, will uh, you know, be received on that day. There'll be a lot of people who think that they have been following the Christian way, and, the, and they, in fact, will be exposed as not having done that very thing. He says in verse 18, we'll know in that day those who have um, served God and those who do not serve him. And so all of that is the context, and this is what he's leading his people to understand, is that the, the way that they think judgment should show up is not going to be the way that it does, but it will still, it's going to be not less than what they'd hope, but far greater than they could ever imagine on how God would treat them. So this is their context. People are saying, what's the point? Why does it matter? 
But, verse 16 says, there are those who fear the Lord, spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them. Okay, so we've seen that God hears what we say to one another. In fact, the whole book is kind of built on that. There's been a lot of conversations amongst God's people of, hey, what's the point? Why are we trying to be faithful when it doesn't seem to matter? And God shows up and calls them out for this very thing. This was an awkward moment for for the prophet to deliver this when they're kind of looking at each other like, oh, God, God heard all of that, right? If you've been in that moment, you've been talking about someone or, you know, and then they walk in the room and you're like, oh, my bad. Like, did you hear all of that? God heard all of that. And this has been the basis of his confrontation through the book of Malachi. But here's the, here's the flip side of that. Not only does he hear when we're fussing about him, talking about what's the point, talking about walking away, he also hears when we're talking about remaining faithful. He hears when we're encouraging one another to stay the course. He hears when we're doubling down on, no, it is worth it. And don't walk away, brother. Don't walk away, sister. The Lord will come. He will be faithful because that's exactly what happened. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And he says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves them. <clears throat> and then once more, you'll see the distinction, he says. And so he, he, he hears them talking. So you talk like cultural movement for them is what's the point? We're not going to obey God. We're not going to actually give all that he's told us to give. We're not going to actually worship. We're not actually going to care about marrying within uh, our faith. I know he says not to marry, you know, people who aren't Christians, but why does it matter? Those people seem to be getting blessed more than we are. So you know what? If I can intermarry into that family and get me some cash, I'm going to do that. What's the, like, that's the cultural movement is it doesn't matter. Either God's not going to show up or he doesn't actually care about these laws. So just do what you want. There's an erosion uh, happening of their morality and of their conviction of following the Lord, right? This is timely, is it not? Can you start to see the, the connection? We're always under this pressure from a cultural standpoint of, of questioning God's way of life, questioning the morality that he's laid before us, questioning the way that we're supposed to do life, right? And, 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 and it can be hard to stand up in, in the midst of that pressure. It can be hard to, to, to remain faithful in the midst of that pressure, right? Whenever people are saying, well, isn't love love? Why do we have to care if it's a man and a woman? Why, why do we need to draw the line? It, what, what is it hurting, right? What does it matter if someone wants to change their, 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 their gender or their appearance or their name? What, what, what does it matter? Like when these are the sorts of questions, like what, what is it hurting and isn't love this? And like it, it can be really difficult to remain faithful in this sort of cultural movement. And so the, the, ta- like the headlines were different. The pressure is the same for what Malachi's people were dealing with and struggling with in the question of faithfulness of is it worth it? Do we stay faithful to God or do we not? The questions were a little bit different. The principle, the temptation is the same. And so imagine, that's the, that's the conversations. And there's a few people that say, hey, listen, we can't stand for this. We're not going to go along with the blaspheming of God's name. We're not going to continue to act as though he's not showing up. Whoever wants to be faithful to God, let's huddle up and have a meeting. 
I don't know how exactly it went down, but some way, somehow, a few people who feared the Lord. Now, that word fear the Lord means fear that, like, like not just like, oh, I'm scared, but no, like a, a reverence and an awe that actually impacts how we live. The Bible talks about the fear of God all the time. It says it's the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom and all understanding, right? Those who, Solomon says, hey, that's the whole point of life is to fear God and do what he says. This is, that's how you'll live well. And so this, those who fear the Lord means they fear God more than they do the surrounding nations or the approval of people or whether or not they're broke or whether or not they have status or whatever it is. They, they fear God more than all of that and it is impacting how they live. They huddle up and say, hey, we're gonna be faithful. This is sort of a Joshua moment, if you will. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? This is the conversation that's happening amongst these people. Right? So here's what you need to know. God hears you. He, he hears when you're encouraging one another. He hears the conversations that are happening in your community group. He hears whenever you call and check on that brother or sister who's struggling and you know might be walking away, who might not be faithful, just thinking about leaving their marriage, just thinking about you know, walking away. Like Whatever it is, he, he hears and sees whenever we call one another out, when we take one another aside and say, brother or sister, Please don't go down that road. He hears us. He hears whenever we call one another to, to live better, to do um, God's will in our community groups, in our church, like in our conversations, in our lunches, when we're just being with one another. He hears. He hears. It says, <clears throat> it's very interesting language. He, it actually says that the Lord paid attention and heard them. I wonder what, what the result of that would be if, he, if we knew that he, he's paid attention to our conversations over the last couple of weeks, two, three, four months, whatever it is. Like, what, what, is, what has he heard? How have we been loving one another? What, what sort of conversations have been in our homes and in our small groups and those sorts of settings? And he says, so, like, he caused a book of remembrance to be written before him with the names of those who feared him and esteemed him. Now, um, they're under Persian rule. We, we see a quick glimpse of it in Esther, but we kind of know from broader cultural historical records that Persia, in particular, a lot of other nations would do that. They would keep a book of those who have been faithful to the kingdom so they made sure that they got full reward and, and honor for what they've done. This is sort of a, you know, just keeping track of, oh, this person did this in battle. We want to make sure they get recognized on the other side. We want to log this through a book, if you will. So this is God saying, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm watching too. Okay, I know that the, the, the kings of Persia, like those people, they're watching who's faithful to them, who's, who's you know, um, living by what they've said, and they're gonna make sure they get the reward. God says, I'm watching too. I hear you and I see you, and I'm gonna make sure that those of you who have feared me, I, I'm like to the point of writing them down and keeping this book of remembrance. There's a lot of foreshadowing here. There's a lot of looking ahead. There's a lot of, of reminding us that God sees. His, his eyes are going to and fro across the earth looking for those who, who fear him, who live for him. And he, like you may feel like it doesn't matter whether or not you are faithful. This is saying God sees and he knows and it will matter. It will matter. On that day, as 1 Corinthians 3 talks about, like as this book talks about, there's gonna, be, there's gonna come a refining fire and all that is not of the Lord will be burnt away. And all of our faithfulness, all the work that we've um, 
worked in the name of Jesus will remain and will be brought to fruition in its fullness, and we will get to see how our faithfulness mattered. So he causes their, their, their names to be written down so that they will be remembered. And he says in verse 17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of the host. And in the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. So there's two big ideas that are going on um, in the book of Malachi. One is, does it matter? Do we still follow the law? Is Moses' law still relevant to us because God hasn't showed back up in his temple? We're not prospering financially. What's the point? The other question they're asking, is God really going to come back or not? He told us he would. He's not here. We're getting tired. Is, I don't think he's coming. So here he's addressing, he's saying, no, no, I will be there. That will happen. I will be coming. I'm going to send a messenger first. We'll get to that. But I will be coming. And on that day, these who have been faithful and who have feared me, they will be my possession. So he's talking about even from within the nation of Israel, not everybody has remained faithful. Not everybody will be a part of the kingdom, but there will be a remnant, he says. There will be a remnant who, who feared him, and he says that remnant will be the ones who are spared the way that a man spares his son who serves him. Now, again, Michael walked us through the beauty of the gospel so clearly before we, we, we partook of communion earlier. And here we say, we hear God say, I will spare them the way that a man spares his son. Here's what you need to know. The, the gospel is, 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 is beautiful and, and the, the gift is free, but man did it cost our God because you understand that a man would spare his own son, right? You understand that he would do that. But in the gospel, God, instead of sparing his own son, gives his own son. We see John 3:16. God so loved the world that he, that he gave his only son, that he didn't spare him. Instead, he gave him so that we could be spared. This is the work. This is the context. Judgment will come. And though no one deserves to stand before God, no one can stand before God in that judgment. Those who fear him, they will be spared the way a man spares his son. But the way that he does that is that God doesn't spare his son. As we saw, Spurgeon said, this baby we're celebrating at Christmas, this baby was born to die the death that we should have died so that we could be spared, so that we could receive his coming as a blessing instead of wrath. And so this is, this is what God is promising. This is the bridging of the gap. This is God's final words before Christ comes, final words before 400 years of silence. This is how he's framing this up. And he says, then once more, verse 18, you'll see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who uh, doesn't serve him. He said, I know it's blurry right now. We're not sure who's faithful. It's not distinguished by prosperity and whatnot, but that day will come and your faithfulness will be recognized. Verse one of chapter four, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. That is coming, <clears throat> the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them <clears throat> neither root nor branch. So again, God's reminding, judgment is coming. And it will be so thorough that God, like, you don't have to worry about whether or not God has seen 
Not only your good deeds, but the bad things that you've witnessed with your own eyes. You don't have to worry if God has seen them. The bad things that have happened to you at the hands of others. You don't have to worry if God has noticed. God will hand out justice and God will wipe out every hint of sin. Those that have used the name of God in a way to get their own platform, their own benefit or whatever. Those that have used scripture or have abused uh, the pulpit or have abused whatever, like to take advantage of other people, they will all be exposed and they will be burned up, he says. There will be no wondering, is, is, that, is that the faith group? Is that not the faithful group? Who's there? Is that that person? I've never been sure. That person, like, listen, you, you are okay to get angry at those who use the name of God to abuse other people. You should absolutely get angry at that. And you should know that God is angry as well. And he's saying, I'm going to handle them on that day. They will be just like the stubble that's burned up in a fire. There will be not even a hint left. No root or branch will remain. Sin will be wiped out completely, which leads us to why it is such good news to be in the other group. Because he says, but for you, verse 2, who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And so on that day, whenever Jesus comes to fully dole out justice, it's going to be like, it's not going to be a good day for those who are outside of Christ, for those who have never surrendered, never bowed their knee and trusted Jesus, it's going to be a really bad day for them. But he says, for you who have faithfully served me, for, the, for you who have remained in your place under the blood of Christ, it says, that day, it's going to be a really good day for you. It, the kind of day that's like the sun rising for the first time in weeks. The kind of day that, that you enjoy like when spring comes after a long winter and you could finally feel some warmth outside again. The kind of day that is like light when all you've seen is darkness. The sun of righteousness shall rise. And for those of us that are in Christ Jesus, this will not be a day of destruction, but rather a day of healing. That the Son is not an object in this moment, it's a person, it's Jesus himself. He is the light of the world. We're going to see that when we start the Gospel of John uh, later. We're going to see that in Luke in, in just a moment, that this is the promise that, that the Son here is referring to Jesus himself. That as he is rising, it, it will be a day of healing for those that are in him. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Now, that y'all, some of y'all didn't grow up on a farm, so you don't get this. But you, maybe you've seen baby calves. Maybe you've seen baby deer. We, my, my kids and I drove by a field full of deer the other day, and there, there was just like this one baby like kicking around, just trying to get everybody to play. You've been around that kid, right? He's just trying to get everybody to play. He's just enjoying life. I got one kid that, that just, she doesn't do conflict or whatever, so if sisters are fighting or if we're getting on to another one, she's just like dancing in front of us, like just in the background, just like trying to, just, just to crack us up. She just doesn't like the tension, so she's just like kick, kicking around. You, like, you've, if you've hunted, you've seen the baby deer that are doing that. You've seen them just kicking, playing, like, enjoying life. I, I know that sometimes you got to, like, I did grow up on a cattle farm, so sometimes you're working the cattle or you're, you're weaning the calves, and so you're keeping them in a smaller, confined area. And so when you open that gate and let them run into a field, man, they're just, their little legs are flying, right? And they're just, like, they're enjoying life. They're carefree, right? And they're, they're running and enjoying. He says, this is what it's going to be like when we have our sin lifted off of us, 
when we fully get to experience the glory of the Lord, it's, it's gonna be a good day, a day of healing, so much so that we're gonna, we're gonna run free. This is, this is a picture of the, the reason that the little calves and the little fawns, the deer, that they're the ones that do that, is they don't have the burden of life yet. They're not worried about where food's coming from, right? They're just hanging out with mom and dad. They're not, worried, they're not pressured with the, with the fear, the weight, the shame, the guilt, the responsibility, the brokenness of this world, they're just enjoying life. It's the beauty and the innocence of, of childhood, uh, or in this case, of, of those calves being let out of a gate, right? Let outdoors, and their feet are just flying, and they're having a good time. They're jumping, they're falling, they're playing. This is the type of healing and freedom and, and burden lifting that Jesus promises to his people. This is the kind of life that Jesus offers to you. Jesus comes. Like, this is pointing us ahead to when Jesus would come. Jesus shows up and he says what? Hey, hey, guys, I, I'm looking out here and I'm seeing a lot of burdens. I'm seeing a lot of people that are tired and broken down and tears are being shed. And they're not sure how they could put another foot in front of the other. They're not sure. Like Jesus says, hey, if you're weary and burdened and heavy laden, come, come to me. Come, come to me. Because I'm the one that Malachi was talking about. I'm the one that was promised that would come and bring healing that would set you so free that you'll go out running like a baby calf that's just been let outdoors. That's me. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We've still got work to do, but we're doing it together. We're doing it as a family. We're going to heal you up. We're going to give you rest. We're going to lift that burden from you. The weight of the world, the weight of the world doesn't belong on you. Jesus says, I got that. Remember what Isaiah said? For unto you a child is born, and the weight of the government will be on his shoulders. Jesus says, hey, that's, that weight you're carrying about your family, about your bills, about your job, this world, he, he said, hey, hey, that's not your weight. Give that back to me. I came to, to live to take that from you. Like, give that back to me. Go, go run free. Enjoy life. You've been bought. You've been saved. You have been refined and purified. If you're in Jesus, give that back to me. Those of you who are living under a weight of sin and shame and, and fear, like, you're robbing Jesus of what he purchased for you. You're, you're taking back what he came to get off of you. Don't do that. If you've read the Pilgrim's Progress, you know that there's, like, there's this, this image of, of Christian just laying off, like unloading his burdens through the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus brings with him. This is the good news of the day of Jesus. So the day of the Lord, when he comes, because these are people wondering if he's going to come. And we looked at a couple weeks ago that, there, that Malachi and his people don't have a full picture of their, there's going to be two comings of Jesus, right? So, so we know that now, so we have to kind of know that he came the first time to, to, to make a way for redemption. When he comes the second time, it will be to execute full judgment. 
And that day is a day of either great joy and healing or of destruction, depending on whether or not you are amongst those who fear the Lord. And that fear, again, that, that means like you recognize that Jesus is the greatest being and power to be worried about, to be feared. And when you see him, you get a picture of, man, I don't belong before him. And when you realize you don't belong before him, you're forced to cry out for mercy. And the good news is, is that he will give it because he's made a way and he, and, and he allows us to call on his name to be saved. As Micah said earlier, we get to exchange our filth, our shame for his purity, for his righteousness. We can't have a ho-hum, woe is me, I don't know if he's coming, I don't know if it really matters kind of faith. We need to have the kind of faith that's looking forward to this day when we're leaping like calves from the stall because this is the promise that's before us. He says, and you shall tread down the wicked. Does does that mean we're going to have to take them out? No, they're already going to be ashes under our feet. So in that day, there will be a sweeping fire across this world, but it won't be burning up the world. It won't be burning up those that are in Christ Jesus. It'll be a refining fire that's burning up everything that's not of Jesus. So we're going to go forth into this new world that's going to be beautiful. So now we're talking about the second coming. We're talking about when he comes back. First Peter says there will be a fire that will, that will bring this world into a new state, right? Like a refining fire. Everything will be singed off of it that is not of the Lord. And then we will go forth and inherit this new earth, right? Where C.S. Lewis says the greens will be greener, the reds will be redder. It will just be like the volume is turned up on color and enjoyment and pleasure and all things that we know and love will be there. And we're going we're gonna to be set forth like calves coming from a stall. Like this is the good news that's before us. And so that's how we should live. That's what we should look forward to. And he says in the wicked You're worried about justice. You're worried about whether or not God's going to handle what has happened. You're worried about whether or not God's going to, you know, bring that politician to justice or that person in your life or that whatever, fill in the blank. He says, no, no, they'll be like ashes under the soles of your feet. Verse 3, on the day when I act, says the Lord. Be careful when you just flippantly ask God where he is. Careful when you just flippantly ask God, why haven't you? We need to have in mind that the, the return of Jesus will be such a magnificent and terrifying act and day and, and exposure that it will be one of two things, either the source of overwhelming gratitude and great joy or overwhelming terror and destruction. This is what he's reminding his people of. This is what he's whispering and, and reminding the people who especially, who, who are reminding each other to remain faithful. He says, no, no, I got you. I see you. Put this in a book. You will be my people. When I come back to make my treasured possession, he says, you will be mine. So this is what he tells them. This is how he bridges the gap. This is how he ends his communication in the Old Testament. Keep waiting, he says. I know, I know you've wondered, but keep waiting. And he's going to give them a couple of final conclusions. Verse 4, he says, 
while you're waiting, remember, remember the law of Moses. Like, don't forget. Right? Now, this is the kind of remembering that should rally us to faithfulness. Right? I think John Piper compared it to, like, when we, you know, we know the story of remember the Alamo. Like, what is that? That's people saying, hey, remember what happened on this battlefield should compel us in this moment to stand firm, to stand strong, right? These men gave their life valiantly. Like, we in this moment need to fight for the sake of them. He's saying, remember in that sense, that remember you were bought and, and, and brought out of Egypt, like, on, angel, on eagle's wings, right? You didn't get your way out of Egypt. You didn't fight faithfully. Remember that God has rescued you. Remember that God is the one that has brought you out. So he says, remember the, the law of my servant Moses and the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai in Israel. Remember what he did there. Remember, don't just remember the law that was given and take it like a burden. Remember how you got there. Remember that he brought you out. Malachi is, is beginning to bring together this idea of Moses, this idea of Elijah. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, right? And then we know if, if you've read, read Luke 9, there's this crazy story of the transfiguration and Jesus is up on this mountain and who's he there with? Moses and Elijah. They're embodying the, the, the truth and the work that God has done in giving the law and in giving the prophets and, and he's there talking with them about his exodus. You see, Jesus is the new and greater Moses. Just like Moses led his people out of Egypt, out of their slavery, out of their oppression, out of their burdens, and into the promised land, into a new life, Jesus has come to bring us out of our slavery to sin, out of our burden of pain, out of our burden of guilt and shame, and into new life. Jesus is the new and greater Moses. And as he brings us out, he gives a new and greater law. We preach through the Sermon on the Mount, right? That's Jesus giving on the mountain again, giving his law, the law of the kingdom to his people. So he's saying, remember that. How are you going to be faithful, right? Because if you can imagine, if they knew, if they knew there was going to be 400 years of silence after this, this is one thing if it's like, hey, remember that. And you just gotta get to you just gotta get to Sunday because your kids are right there. They're like, "Is Christmas here? Can I open a gift yet?" You just gotta get to Sunday, right? It's not that far. Like you could talk them into some patience for a week, right? So if if this is if this is like Malachi saying, "Hey, remember the law of Moses. You just got a few more days, and Jesus will be here." Well, that's one thing. But you, can you imagine if they knew it was gonna be four hundred years? All of us got some apprehension about that. You're like, I mean, I'm going to die, so okay. Right? You could see how half-hearted, you know, efforts would be brought. But he's saying, no, no, live in such a way that you remember that you were brought out of Egypt. That this very land that you're wondering, is it going to prosper again? It's yours because God brought you out. Like, remember in that sense. And, and that is what will get you through in faithfulness to the day whenever he comes. And he says, behold, verse 5, I, send, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of, of utter Destruction. So he's sort of summarizing all the law and prophets here in this moment. 
Remember Moses, remember his law, remember all the prophets that have called you forth and called you back to repentance and told you what would happen if you didn't and told you what was coming down the road. Remember all of that. He's calling them to a, a remembrance of all that God has said to them as the, as the Testament closes up. Don't forget everything that God has done. And he, and he says, hey, the day's coming. I will send the promised Messiah. And he will do what I promised to do. But he says, and I'm, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah. I'm going to send the forerunner. I'm going to send the one to come before him. Like, that's going to happen. We saw that in, verse, or in chapter 3, him talking about um, the messenger that would go before to make a way to remove every obstacle, right? We, we know that that is John the Baptist. We see that Jesus affirms it in Matthew 11, later as an adult. We see that the angels affirm it in Luke chapter 1. We see that Zechariah, uh, John's dad, confirms it in Luke chapter 1, right? An angel shows up and tells Zechariah the father, of John the Baptist, that John will turn many sons, this is Luke 1, 16, 17, will, many, will turn many sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, if you don't know, I'd love to talk about Elijah, but he was a, a prophet of power. He's the one that does the showdown um, with the prophets of Baal on the mountain, right? If you don't know that story, it's an awesome one. He's like, all right, we'll just, like, you don't think my God's God, let's just Test him, right? You get an offering, you kill a bull, put him over here. I'll do mine. We'll, we'll, you take a turn, I'll take a turn. We'll see who God's answer, who's God answer. It's an awesome story because then he like drenches his and he mocks. He puts a bunch of water on his. He mocks them. Maybe you went to the bathroom. It's an awesome story. Look up Elijah later. So not only is he is a prophet of power, he also escaped physical death. Like he just like, whoop, ascends into heaven. So he's so he's like, okay, he, did, he didn't really die, so he's probably coming back. So it's all this mystery and this promise revolving around Elijah. And, and then John the Baptist is the one that shows up, eating locusts, hanging in the wilderness like a super weird dude, calling everybody to repentance. That's him. And the angels say, this, you're going to have this kid, and that's what he's going to do. He's going to turn many sons of Israel to the Lord their God. Sound familiar? That's the language from Malachi right there. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. So he identifies John the Baptist as the expected um, Elijah of Malachi chapter 4. Jesus confirms it in Matthew 11 verse 10. Um, and so without being asked, the Lord sends a prophet to prepare his people so that when Jesus comes, it can be a blessing and not merely wrath. And so um, we see um, in Luke 1, 76 and 79, um, what, in between there, Zechariah is struck mute, can't talk for the whole pregnancy. And then when he's born, uh, they're, trying to, they're talking about his name. If you've seen the, the, the nativity story, they do a pretty good job of depicting this because they're like, well, what's his name going to be? And Elizabeth's like, well, well, this. And it's going to be John. And everybody's like, John, that's not a family. Why John? Anybody ever mock your kids' names? Don't do that. Just, it's not a good look if you're like, really? Oh. But that's what they're doing. They're like, really, John? And Elizabeth's trying to defend it. And all of a sudden, Zechariah could talk for the first time in months. And he's like, his name is... John, like, y'all think you know what you're talking about. A doggone angel told me to name him John. It, the discussion's closed, right? He's John. And so then he begins to prophesy. He begins to speak 
uh, verse 76 through 79, he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of the salvation of his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise, Malachi, right? The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Listen, the coming of Christ is not a flippant Hail Mary from God. This is woven through his plan of history, and it is the fulfillment of so many promises and so many prophecies that it should cause us to leap with joy when we realize the lengths that God has gone to to purchase for us the salvation that says, hey, you're weary you're tired? Give me all that stuff. So how dare we take Christmas flippantly? Right? How dare we just go, huh? Like, no, this is, this is the good news. Jesus has come that we may have life. And have it abundantly. And lest it be unclear, if you're here wondering how you get that life, it is by calling on the name of Jesus, confessing that you are a sinner and that he is the only Savior. Make him the Lord of your life. And it says, you shall be saved. Your sins, though they are scarlet, will be made white as snow. Your sins, though they are many, will be forgotten, removed as far as east is from the west, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. This is the good news. The burdens that you carry can be given to him. You can find life and hope and freedom and healing. Christmas is like the sun rising. One of the devotionals we did a few years ago, John Piper named it the dawning of indestructible joy. It's a powerful picture. So Christmas is the, is the sun rising and bringing with it the healing from Jesus' wings, bringing with it the hope and the promise of a salvation for his remnant, for his people, all made possible because God spared us like his own son, doing so by giving his son. Let's pray. God, help us to not take this for granted. Help us to not be underwhelmed this Christmas, but rather to be in awe of you and to worship you with all that we have and to point to you with every gift that we open, every um, song that we sing, and may it, you just capture our hearts this Christmas season. I pray for everyone in this gathering this morning. I pray that you would set people free, that you would apply the healing from your wings, that you would bring forth freedom from addiction, freedom from shame, from guilt, from fear. And I pray that we would experience the transformative power that you said that the gospel brings. We start seeing fathers' hearts turn back to their children and children's hearts turn back to their father. This is a transformative gospel that we are uh, embracing and I pray that our lives would be transformed. Would you do that sort of work now in our time of response? It's in Jesus' name that we pray.